So where we've been, um, where we've been digging a bit of a well is around this, this idea that we're meant to be the head and not the tail. I'm just thinking of all these tales, and they're really quite funny now. It's amazing what's funny when you drink. Um, Because tales are quite funny. Um, Okay, help us, Jesus. What did I say? Yeah. So the concept that we are called to be the head and not the tail. Some people have funny heads. <laughs> Some heads are very funny. Um, all year we've been digging into this concept of our destiny. And um, in particular, in August, we took a really deep dig into that well. And um, for all of us, no matter what our calling, our destiny is, whether it's in the church, whether it's out in the world or anywhere in between or any combination of the two, Our calling as the body of Christ (laughs) involves us being the head and not the tail. It involves us being the ones who the world seeks after and says, what is it that you guys have got? I need that. We're the ones that are leading the way in the world in terms of creativity, in terms of solving the problems of the world. That, that, that's our destiny. And Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 make this amazing promise that says that in the last days, the mountain of the hill of the Lord will become the chief among the mountains and nations will stream into the house of God saying, show us his ways. That That is our destiny. And that's not put off until the millennium somewhere. That's in the last days. And the last days began after Jesus. So been in the last days a while. And it's time, we, it's time we started to see the reality and the truth of that. See, you didn't get saved just so that you could come to church. <laughs> You're not supposed to say amen that loud. <laughs> we didn't just get saved so we could do church for the rest of our life. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a good church service. He actually gave his life and I, I believe as he hung on the cross and shouted to Telstai, which is the Greek word, it, it's one word in Greek, which we translate, it is finished. I believe that was a prophetic declaration. It wasn't just a statement of, oh, well, it's done, folks, I'm out of here. Um, it was something far more profound than that because he, raised, he, he said it at the top of his voice. I actually believe that he was making a prophetic declaration that was essentially saying that which has held the bride down for so long is finished. And as he was making that declaration, it was a prophetic call for the bride of Christ to arise into the glory that it was created for. So that's our destiny. It's not just an individual thing. It's a collective thing as well, but it starts with our individual positioning. Our decision that we are not going to be the tail, that we're not going to be mediocre, that we're not going to be the followers or the copiers. <laughs> yeah, what's it going to be like when, when the U2s and the Coldplay's of the world are copying our music rather than us copying theirs? Now, it's darn good music, don't get me wrong. <laughs> U2 and Coldplay are like some of the top, but, and Bono is a believer. What will it be like when 
you know, when some of your top guitarists that live in LA and Hollywood in that music scene walk into a church and go, I've never heard anything like that. Because you know, there are melodies in heaven that are just way beyond anything that we've thought of or heard of. And what would it be like for a bunch of musicians to start hearing the melodies of heaven, to start creating them, just to start producing them on earth? And firstly, just see what that does to the atmosphere. <laughs> but for the, for the creative world to look on, which is normally looked at the church as you know, a place where creativity isn't at its greatest, let's say. And going, oh my goodness, what is that sound? I have to find out about this. That, that's just one realm. What if the, the financial institutions of the world looked at the church and went, what is it with you guys and money? How do you do that? How do you heal economies the way that you do? What, what would that be like? When prime ministers and presidents go, I have got no idea how to solve the problem of our national debt. Let's go to the church and find out. Because that's what's prophesied in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. That's our destiny. That's what we're created for. That's what we're called for. And for too long, we have had this belief system that keeps us small and that keeps us insignificant, supposedly in the name of humility. Yet our view of what humility is and God's is, I, th I think there's a little bit of tweaking to do on our side. So where we've been, where we've been digging so far is the idea that in order to be the head and not the tail, we need wisdom and understanding. I'm, I'm putting those in brackets because they're one, one and the same thing, through, especially throughout the book of Proverbs. And remembering Proverbs literally means to reign in life. So it is, the book of Proverbs, largely written by King Solomon, is the wisest man on earth apart from Jesus giving us the clues to how to reign in life, to how to be the head and not the tail because he was probably the greatest earthly example of what being the head and not the tail was like on earth, beyond Jesus, of course. Because the kings and queens of the earth would come to see what is it with that Solomon dude. The queen of Sheba came and saw Solomon's temple and was absolutely overwhelmed by the majesty and glory of that thing that he created. And she wasn't poor. She left a bucket load of cash and gold and all sorts of stuff behind as a gift. And he had no need of that. But she was so impressed. It's like, I have to honor this. I have to give to this. So we've looked at this whole thing of wisdom and understanding and the way that that, um, that metastructure of, of once we have that thing in place called wisdom and understanding, it becomes like a magnet that attracts kingdom revelation to us. And I'm not just talking revelation of scripture, though that's a really good revelation. Let's get more of that. Absolutely. But I'm talking about revelation into the structures of how things work, how things operate, problems in people, problems in nations, problems in cities, um, problems in technology, where we get insight into the structures of problems and the way that things work such that we come up with solutions that the world is looking for. Because he or she who has the solution will be the most influential in that realm. And when you're the most influential in that realm, when you're the head and not the tail, you get to set the culture of that realm. 
And we've often thought as the church, if we can bring in the harvest and get everyone saved, then we're going to change the culture of the world. And I actually think the kingdom operates slightly different. I think when we change the culture, we're going to get the harvest. Just a thought. So he talked about wisdom and understanding as one of those parts, and the other part being spiritual authority. That's, I want to set the foundations in the next few minutes. I just want to set the foundations of this thing called spiritual authority, the fact that we have it. And I'm going to walk us on a little bit of a journey through the Scripture to do that. For some of you, this will be familiar. For some of, it, for some of you, it won't be. Um, and then I want to land it with a bit of a challenge to us, which I won't say right now because I'll just give the whole game away and that'll be no fun. So I want to look at the foundations of spiritual authority, where it begins. So if you happen to have a Bible or some kind of device with a Bible on it, we're going to start right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to just kind of go for a little bit of a journey through not quite the entirety of Scripture, but at least historically. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. There's that word. It's an authority word. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all of the wild animals. That's talking about youth ministry. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. That's kids ministry. All the creatures that move along the ground. Um, some reason I've had a dad joke anointing since I walked in the building. It's not good. <laughs> Pray it off me. Um, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. That, that word subdue is, is the word, have dominion over it. Have dominion over it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living thing that moves along the ground. And so on he goes. So right in the beginning, God created man with authority in the earth. And he said, rule over the earth, have dominion over it, go and fill it and bring it into dominion. That was the original mandate. Now, if we, we get, keep a finger in there because we're going to jump back. But if you jump forward to Psalm chapter 8. I didn't think that was funny, but... <laughs> Um, Psalm 8, we'll start at verse 3. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you cared for them? Now, this verse here has been translated badly for as long as I know it. And uh, in, at least in this version, which is the NIV, um, it, it definitely translated, translated, translates it badly. Uh, it says, you have made them a little lower than the angels. That word angels is the word Elohim, which is the word we use for God. So it's actually not a little lower than the angels. It's actually a little lower than God. That, that, that's a, a real key to understanding that verse. You've made him just a little lower than God. Remember, we were in, in, in his image and his likeness. We were created. That's, that alone has a whole lot on it. Hmm. Um, so you have made them a little lower than Elohim, a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand and put everything under their feet. So there's that authority mandate again. 
And he has created us with dominion, a little lower than God, with a mandate to rule. All the flocks and herds, all the animals of the world, the birds in the sky, the fish, the sea, the swim, uh, all, that one, all that stuff that it says. All that. It's all good. Now, Psalm uh, 116. Hundred and fifteen, sorry, hundred and fifteen, verse sixteen. Psalm hundred and fifteen, verse sixteen. It says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. Okay, so again, just establishing really simply when God created the world, he created mankind with authority in the realm of the earth. We got that so far. I think that's relatively clear. Um Just a little sidetrack, just for a second. So when God, when God created something, he didn't speak to the thing. He spoke to the environment that it was going to be in. So when, when, he's, when he created the fish, he spoke to the sea. When he created the trees, he spoke to the ground. Get the idea? But when he created mankind, he spoke to himself. He said, let us create man in our image and our likeness. He spoke to himself. So he speaks to the culture, the environment that we are to be put into. And if we are taken that out of that, it, we, we will die. But in it, we have life. You take the fish out of water, it's in deep stook. Reminds me of a Far Side cartoon that's one of my favorites where the fish bowl... There's two fish outside the fishbowl and the, fi the little house in the fishbowl is on fire and they, the fish get out and they're standing outside having a chat going, oh, phew, that was close. And then there's a pause and then they go, of course, now we're equally screwed because they're out of the... Uh, that was one of my favourites. Anyway, there it is again. But when you take something out of the thing that God spoke to to create it, it dies but it finds its life in that environment. And that says when God created you, he spoke to himself. And when you take you out of that environment of God, it's, it's, it's a death. Just a sideline. <laughs> now, verse 26. No, sorry, Genesis chapter 3. Already did verse 26. So Genesis chapter 3. Particularly, ver so what we know in the early parts of Genesis 3 is the fall happens. Not a great day. Adam and Eve had certainly had better days than that one. And essentially what happened, see, the enemy had no authority on the earth at that point because it had all been given to man. But of course, the enemy, the snake, the serpent, wanted authority. So if you want authority, where do you get it from? From those who have it. And you essentially trick them or deceive them into your agenda so that you actually hijack their authority and use it for your own purposes. That's what the devil did. That's what the serpent did. He tricked them. He deceived them into coming into agreement with him. So he hijacked mankind's authority. Does that make sense? So if we jump forward to Luke chapter 4, which is the temptation of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke. There it is. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. 
So this is when Jesus is being tempted out in the wilderness. It says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor because it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So do you see the transfer of authority that took place at the fall? God created us with dominion and authority in the earth realm. The enemy tricked and deceived it, hijacked our agenda and took it for himself. Hijacked our authority and took it for his own agenda. And as a result, the earth came under the dominion of the enemy. This is why we know that Jesus came. To actually remove us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his son. So if you think of authority as keys, we had the keys in Genesis 1. We were created, we were given the keys, which was the authority of heaven. We lost the keys at the fall. And when we, when we see Jesus coming prior to the cross, we see the devil dangling the keys in front of him and say, hey, I've got them. <laughs> and if you want them, come and get them. But there's a catch. Same deal as before. You, you just have to worship me. In other words, then I'm going to hijack Jesus' agenda. Now, if we go to Matthew, which is actually forward in the story, but backward in in your Bible. After the cross, in Matthew 28, where we, what we know as the Great Commission, and I quite often think we miss the power of these words that he said. Um, In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. In other words, guys... I got the keys back. And now, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And John's version of it says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In other words, Jesus says, I got the keys. Here they are. Now, go make disciples disciples of all nations. Now, interestingly, you've probably heard me say this before. It's not go and make disciples of people in nations. It's go and make disciples of nations, of actual nations. So our call is way, way bigger than we think. Islam right now is discipling six nations. Christians, zip. That's zero. Yeah, just in case. Food for thought. Now, what is it God's overall purpose here? Ephesians chapter 1. So we've seen. We had the keys. We lost the keys. Jesus came, has a discussion with the enemy, and the enemy's going, ha ha, I got the keys. If you want them, come get them. With a catch. Jesus goes, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to do this a whole different way. And the enemy thinks by killing Jesus, he's won a victory, and that was a really, really bad day for the enemy. Really bad day for the enemy. See, the enemy knew who he was when he walked the earth, because you can tell that by how the demons responded to him. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't think they had the slightest clue what he was going to do. I don't think that he had the slightest clue. Because see, the enemy is not omniscient, all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. He's not like... What are two kind of opposing superheroes? (laughs) But they're not opposing. They're kind of on... They're both good. Batman and the Joker. Although Batman always kicks butt. No, <laughs> you get. You know what I'm trying to say is God and Satan are not these two equal opposing forces. It's not like that. Okay, all right, whatever. 
just drink some more. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. <laughs> Tweety Bird and Sylvester. I thought I thought Putty Tat. I did, I did. Roadrunner and the Coyote. Uh, I, I opened a whole can. I don't know if I'm going to get back. But anyway, you get the idea. They are not equal opposing forces. <laughs> um, No, you're not. <laughs> no. I don't think the enemy had the slightest idea what Jesus was going to do. Otherwise, he wouldn't have killed him. He wouldn't have unleashed that whole spirit of death and religion on him. And I think he thought he had him. And then <laughs> Sunday was a bad day um, where basically the enemy got used like a chess piece for the purposes of God. Mm-hmm. And that really is his position in the earth, is to be used as, as a chess piece for God's purposes. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and you've probably, you know, at least many of you will have heard this from me before. Um, to understand the overall purpose of God, so it says, verse 9 of Ephesians 1, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. So th- they're about to tell us, like, the will of God. This is what He is about. This is the, the, the agenda of the Father. Verse 10, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven on earth under Christ, depending on which version, to bring everything in heaven on earth under the authority of Christ. That's, that's the agenda of God. Now, that, that can sound like a control freak agenda if you think that the Father is mean and nasty and controlling, Or that can be an entire blessing agenda because we know what happens when things come under the Lordship of Christ. Everything lives, everything comes alive. And obviously, I'm a firm holder of the latter. Now, let's jump forward in this chapter to chapter 15 of Ephesians 1. Yeah, yeah. So what I meant, even though it's not what I said, but I'm glad I was just checking that you were listening. (coughs) Oh, sorry, I just banged my nose on the uh, stand here because it was growing. Um, that was a Pinocchio joke, yeah. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Don't try and send me to another book because I'll go there accidentally. Ephesians chapter 1, <laughs> verse 15. We can do this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and there's that whole thing again, that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe." That, that's a, this is what we call apostolic intercession. This is Paul praying for the church in Ephesus and he, he's effectively calling them to be the, to the head and not the tail. Um, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the, the realm of the second heaven, which we've talked about in recent days. Far above every dominion and every name that is named, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, there's a real trippy little thing right there in verse 23 that has 
not a lot to do with what I'm talking about and everything to do with what I'm talking about. And that is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, the universe is not expansive enough to contain him. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way, that fullness is in you. If that's not enough to bring us to the head and not leave us as the tail, I don't know what is. Like it was enough a few verses earlier where it says the power is the same as his mighty strength where he, where he raised Christ from the dead and that the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. As if that's not enough, he then kind of smacks it right out of the park and says, yeah, and the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, yeah, yeah, that's him. You're in him, he's in you. Like us being in him, that's kind of cool, but it's not, it's like I can be in the ocean and know that this ocean that I'm in can cover yeah, pretty much most of the earth, but me being in it is like, it's awesome, I love it, but it's not as trippy as the entire ocean being in me. Every illustration falls down somewhere, obviously, because the entire, but you get the idea, the fullness of, all right. So let me go to the point that I was trying to make. So it says, seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, dominion, authority, power. And then verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet. Now, do you remember when we read Psalm 8? And it said that everything was placed under our feet. Now here we see everything being placed under the feet of Jesus, but then Paul is invoking the language of the body. So if we are in Christ and Christ is in us and everything is under the feet of Jesus, what has he restored? He's restored everything under our feet. Now you can look at it simply that way, but you can also understand that the feet is the lowest part of the body. The head is the highest part, the feet is the lowest part. And everything in the earth is even under the realm and the dominion of the lowest part of the body of Christ. So we've been given a mandate, a dominion mandate from the beginning. But in Christ, that mandate that was lost has been restored. Don't, don't fall for this idea that you're a, you're a filthy, rotten sinner that's just been saved by grace and you just kind of scrape through, though you're still a scumbag. Don't, don't fall for that stuff. It's religious nonsense. You have been placed in Christ far above everything, with everything under our feet. That is where we have been restored to in Christ. There is nothing that is not under the feet of Jesus and we are his body the references in Ephesians is particularly good at this. Actually, it's not just Ephesians, it's Isaiah, where it says, yeah, unto us a, son, a child is born, unto us a son is given. It says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. So if you like, the governmental ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, the governmental ministry of the church is the shoulders of the body because the government sits on his shoulders. But the shoulders is part of the body. The feet is also part of the body, but it's the lowest part. And even the lowest part, the lowest part of authority in the body of Christ has authority over all the earth. This is, this is what's commonly called, in a technical sense, good news. 
Now, what does this mean? Now, that, that, that's a really cool concept, but unless we actually take this and apply it at its logical place, we're going to miss the power of it. Your world is under your authority. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to um, expand this a little bit more and a little bit more specifically about the authority of the individual, the authority of the, belie- of the, of the collective of the church. What are the things that we have authority over? I'm going to get a bit more specific about that. But let's for now just settle on the fact that your world is under your authority. You are in Christ. He is seated far above all. Therefore, you are seated with him. And as it goes on to say, we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms far above. Everything is under our feet. What goes down in your world gets determined by you. So if you were to take all of your belief systems, all of your belief structures, and build a world out of it for you to live in, what would that look like? You want a clue? It'll look exactly like what you're living in right now. It will look exactly like what you're living in right now because your world around you is a manifestation of what is going on inside of you because you have authority. And you get to determine what goes and what doesn't go. Now, I can hear, I think I can hear, at least I can hear my own thoughts arguing with that going, yeah, but things happen. Things really do happen. I know. (laughs) I've had some of these things happen. They're not fun. My question comes to, though, is what truth am I going to build my life on? Am I going to build my life on the truth, the lesser truth that things happen, which leaves me in a very, very powerless position because things just keep on happening? Or am I going to build my life on the truth that I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, far above all of this stuff, and I have way more authority than I think I have to determine what comes and what goes? And I make it my life's journey to explore and unpack that authority and see it manifested on the earth. What do you reckon? Any thoughts as to which would be better? Perhaps we'll take a vote. No, let's not do that. So part of our destiny is in the areas where we've been given wisdom and understanding, we've also been given authority. And part of the process of destiny is starting to explore what that looks like because yeah, we can get we can use our authority in an earthly sense which is I, I'm going to lord it over I'm going to command I'm going to dictate I'm going to build a theocracy my name's Theo <laughs> or we can understand this as I have a responsibility and an accountability but the authority is to bring heaven into that realm That is the ultimate authority. Because we bring the realm that we are seated in into the realm that we are experiencing in the earth. That's the idea. So here's the challenge that I want to land this. This is just setting up the foundational stuff because we don't get this part, the whole, the general principle that we're in charge here. There's a conversation going in my head. It's going something like this. Yeah, if I was ever to write a book on theology, which is not really what I want to do, I'd be writing a book something like, uh, calling something like, is God really in charge? 
Because I mean, we've been taught, oh, God's in charge. I've heard it hundreds, thousands. If not, I've probably said it many times. Now, what I'm not saying by hinting that I don't quite believe that, there's a whole lot of things I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that God doesn't have the ultimate say in the end. Okay, obviously, He does. I've read the end of the book. I know how it works out. Okay? He gets the ultimate say in the end. The enemy gets, you know, the holy boot of not love. <laughs> but the earth He has given to man. In other words, He has given responsibility and accountability of the earth realm to us. Therefore, what goes down may not necessarily be the will of God but it is the will of us. And if we don't use our authority to bring in the kingdom, another authority will come and deceive and manipulate its way in to get its will established on the earth. So part of our responsibility is to actually look at what's going on on the earth and see some of these things and go, not on my watch. Because we are going to hand this world off to another generation not too many years from now. And are we going to hand it off better than how we found it? We actually have a responsibility to do that. Now, let me bring this back to us personally to, to bring this thing into land. So I want you to think for a moment. And these are, this, I'm going to give you a moment to think right now. But these are questions of worthy of taking away and, reflection, and reflecting. So question number one is, what are you currently experiencing in your world? The things that you're really happy with, the things that you're not really happy with, what are you currently experiencing? In other words, the house that has been built around you by the belief structures that are within you, what's it look like? How happy with, you, how happy with it are you? And there'll be parts that we're loving, yes, taking ground, parts that we're not so happy with. So that's question one. What are you currently experiencing? Question two is, what's your destiny? What's it meant to look like? Knowing that we're on a journey heading in that direction and we're not there, but what's that meant to look like? We at least need to have some kind of concept of the picture of, as to what that looks like, or at least be on the journey of discovering it. That's what we've been talking about a lot throughout this year. It's not about where you are on the journey. It's the fact that you're on it and you're moving forward. That's, that's the key. So what are you currently experiencing what is your destiny? What's it meant to be like? And what in your current world, both internally and externally, needs to shift to move towards that destiny? Now, here's the thing. At the risk of sounding new agey, I don't know how else to say this. <laughs> Too many of us sit there waiting for the planets to align for everything to happen and to just miraculously, ah, boom, there it is, wow, <laughs> Whew, lucky. Too many of us wait for the planets to align, but let me tell you, the planets are waiting for you to align. How do I know? Romans 8, all of creation is groaning in eager expectation, longing for the sons of God to be revealed. That word revealed, apocalypsis, means unveiled. In other words, for who you really are, Boom, the veil is lifted and boom, there he is in the fullness of what God created him to be. That's what the whole of the earth is waiting for. We can't stop and wait for everything to just fall into alignment because we're in the authority position. 
And if we don't declare it, if we don't walk it, if we don't shift it, it won't happen. We are responsible for our world. If there is, if there is and I'm talking about my own world personally, I'm talking about our world corporately, I'm talking about our city, our community. What goes down is our responsibility because we've been given authority. And we can either abdicate that and just go, gee, I hope things get better. I, could, I can sit at my desk every day and just go, gee, I hope something really good happens. <laughs> or I can realize if it's going to happen, I'm the one who's been given the authority. We are the ones who have been given the authority. Now, there is the authority of the individual and there's the authority of the collective. I'm going to unpack that some more next week and it's important that we understand both. There are some things we can't do on our own and we were never meant to do on our own. But there are some things we have to do on our own. No one else can take ownership of your life. You are not responsible for what happens to you. You are responsible for how you respond to what happens to you. And some of us have had some desperately horrible things happen to us. So don't, please don't hear in this a lack of compassion. I spend half my life working with people and helping people get healed to whom things have happened. Okay, that, that, that's, that, that's a whole part of my deal. So please don't hear a lack of compassion. But I don't think we've been guilty of a lack of compassion. I think we've been guilty of a lack of ownership and accountability for actually what we've been given. See, all of creation is waiting for us to get it. All of creation is waiting for us to go, you know what? You, as the body of Christ, if he is in you and you are in him... When you walk into a room, he walks into the room. And he's either allowed out or he's trapped. The belief structures that you build inside of you and that you cultivate inside of you, including the thoughts that you have about you, they build the world around you because when you cultivate those thoughts, they have authority because you have authority. And the danger is we give authority to the enemy by what we cultivate on the inside if it's not in agreement with what, with what God is saying. It's just not a smart thing to do. <laughs> it's not always an easy thing to, to overcome and that's why we do healing. That's why we do prayer ministry and the moment it comes into the presence of Jesus, a whole lot of things change. You getting the idea? If you want something different from your life to what you're experiencing right now, you actually have the authority. Now, are there processes of God? Is there the voice of God? Absolutely, no question about it. If you like, the, you know, those two, you know, the voice of God, surrender, or like that's one pedal on the bike and the other pedal is you're in authority. Christ is in you, you have his mind, push. <laughs> and whichever one happens to be up in the journey in terms of what God's doing with you now, push that one. <laughs> both of them are true, but they're both pedals. And as you push them both, you move forward. thought that was way better than your response but so let's stand shall we what I want to pray for us is essentially that we would get this that that your world is perfectly organized your world internally and externally is perfectly organized to produce the set of results you are currently experiencing in your life. 
So if you don't like the results you're currently experiencing in your life, we need to find out the blueprint of heaven for that and start declaring, start moving towards that. Is this always easy? Heck no. Does stuff happen? Yes. The question is, what are we going to build our life on? We can build it on the, on, on the fact that stuff happens or we can build it on we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms far above everything and everything is under our feet, which is a sure foundation. So Jesus, help us get it. You died so that we might be forgiven, but you died for so much more than just that. You, you died to restore us to our original place in creation, which is you made us a little lower than Elohim. You made us a little lower than you. And you gave us authority in the realm of the earth to determine what comes and what goes. And God, forgive us for, for not understanding. Forgive us for our ignorance. Forgive us for, um, for just buying into the idea that in some way we're powerless. And all we can do is call out for you to rescue us. You've made us so much more powerful than the so much more powerful than that. So Father, lift our expectation. Lift our understanding of who we are. And as a community, we want to say we take responsibility for our world. We take responsibility for our own life. We take responsibility for our own destiny. I remember about a year and a half, I'm talking right now, I, I'll come back to praying in a minute. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, I think it was, roughly speaking, I, I hit a real wall and you know, the, the combination of business world, church world, all of those things, it just wasn't working for me. And I, I was really stuck in my head. Like I just couldn't see the way through and I'm, I'm looking for this to change and that to change and, and all of these things to change. And I probably lived there, I don't know, it was about two months I think I lived in this place, you remember. Um, and it just, it wasn't a particularly happy place at all because I just felt stuck and I couldn't see the way out. The thing that snapped me out of that was realizing, well, this is actually my own creation. If I don't like it, why don't I change it? And it was like a light switched on and went, oh, actually, I have a choice. <laughs> I have a choice. Now, okay, I know there are some things in our world we don't have a whole lot of choice over we wouldn't, and we wouldn't choose if we did. I get that. That's one part of the journey and that would be worth a whole week or two of, of its own. But right now, this part of the journey is, hey, all of that stuff that I was experiencing was a product of what was going on inside of me. I was living in a world of my own making and I didn't realize it. And I was getting cranky and frustrated with everyone and everything that I possibly could when I finally kind of went, yeah, it's not working out for me. And suddenly the light switched on and I realized, hey, if I don't like it, why don't I do something about it? And it may start with changing a belief system. It may start with changing, what do I believe about me? What am I declaring about me? What am I declaring about my life? And then from there, I started to realize, I've got some decisions that I need to make. And as I start to move and to make those decisions, the world started to kind of bend around me. One of my friends, it was around this time, um, he's in America, I was actually just chatting to him this week, but I remember around that time, he said to me, reality bends around those who know who they really are. Because when I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know my authority, reality bends around me. 
So Jesus, help us to get it. Help us to understand that we are way more in control than we think we are. And this is good news because if we don't like what we see, we can change it. And God, help us to explore and to understand what that authority looks like. Authority over sickness, um, authority in the financial realm, authority over disease, all of these things you have you've given us authority over and we want to explore what that looks like. For it not to rule us, but for us to rule it. For money not to rule us, but for us to rule it. For our jobs, our circumstances not to rule us, but for us to rule it. Because that is where you have placed us in Christ. Help us to get it in Jesus' name. Amen.